And welcome in, everybody, to a special edition of the Weekly Sports Talk podcast. Coming to you on a Sunday to recap the past three days in the NFL draft. With Josh Pose, I am Nick Palazzolo. You can follow us on Twitter at Nick Palazzolo5 and at Pose underscore Josh. we got a great podcast for you today. Uh, we will recap the Bears draft class and other big names that went in the, NF- in the 2020 NFL draft. We'll also discuss, is Ryan Pace's draft strategy broken? We'll talk about that. We'll give you our winners and losers of the NFL draft. And then, because the last dance is tonight, we will preview episodes three and four for you. And we will also be joined by Chris Black of ESPN 1000, who hosts a college football show for ESPN 1000 every Saturday during the college football season. Looking forward to that conversation. Josh, first of all, how are you? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. So, Josh, when we take a look at the Bears draft class, I'll, I'll just read them off for you. So the Bears 2020 draft class looks like this. In the second round, they took tight end Cole Komet out of Notre Dame and uh, cornerback Jalen Johnson out of Utah. In the fifth round, they trade Ryan Pace got aggressive again and traded up twice into the fifth round. He selected an edge rusher, Travis Gibson from Tulsa, a wide receiver, Darnell Mooney from Tulane, and a cornerback, Kendall Vildor from Georgia Southern. And in the seventh round, he took two offensive tackles back-to-back, Arlington Hambright and Lachavius Simmons. So, Josh, when you take a look at that draft class, what do you think about it? I liked it. I, I especially liked the, the pick 173 with Darnell Mooney. I was watching some of his highlights. He's quick. He, he could help yeah. out. He could help out Trubisky or whoever's starting week one right away. Yeah, see, I think my biggest problem is that, all right, so we got tight end, cornerback, edge rusher, wide receiver, cornerback, and two seventh-round offensive tackles. Yes. What, what was the biggest problem last year on offense? We couldn't have a run game. Why? Yep. Because we blamed it on the offensive line. So, instead of getting younger at the offensive line and taking quality offensive tackles that were there for you in the second round, we decided to take two offensive tackles in the seventh round and hope they are something. That is what annoys me the most. Because in the second round, you passed on Josh Jones, an offensive tackle from Houston. Uh, Ezra Cleveland, an off, a solid offensive tackle from Boise State. That Those two players easily helped out the Bears in the run game. But Ryan Pace stood pat on his offensive line. Even Kyle Long has been, went on the record and said that um, the offensive line needs some help because this offensive line just can't get it done. And then what does Ryan Pace do? He signs Jermaine Affetti from Seattle. He played right tackle in Seattle. They're going to move him to right guard. They signed a second-round failure out of Green Bay and Jason Spriggs, who's been injured. But, you know, we drafted two offensive tackles in the seventh round, so I don't understand what Ryan Pace was thinking. Uh, the only thing I can think about with the run game help was getting Cole Komet, but at 43, that seemed to stretch. Unless they thought that he wasn't going to be available at 50, I would have gone the safety out of LSU. Grand yeah, Delta. see, but if you, if you think – 
If you think somebody between 43 and 50 is going to take Cole Komet, nobody's No one was going to. Nobody was going to. Cole Komet, sure, he might have been the best tight end in the draft. But sure, he might. I think I'm rooting for Cole Komet. Trust me, I am. I'm not hating just to hate because, I mean, he he becomes the Bears' 10th tight end. Mm -hmm. So we have 10 tight ends on the roster. Sure, he'll play that wide tight end spot. And for those who don't know what a wide tight end is, a wide tight end is typically your tight end on the line who can pat, he can block for you, a good run blocker, runs a good, a good amount of seam routes, really good. He, he's basically an all-around tight end. And then you have a guy like Jimmy Graham who's more of your U tight end, which is your pretty crappy run blocker, but a, a decent receiving tight end. So the thing I don't understand is how Cole Komet, because on Tuesday, Ryan Pace met the media with reporters for his pre-draft press conference. And this is a quote from Ryan Pace on Tuesday. We are always going to take the best player available. If a QB was there and if he was the highest guy on our board in a strong way, we would consider that for every position. Let's face it. This draft is risky enough. When you deviate from your best player available, you just increase your risk. But Ryan Pace, isn't that what you just did? Mm -hmm. There is no chance that Cole Komet was the best player available at pick 43. Because Grant Delpit went 44. Antoine Winfield went 45. Ezra Cleveland went, I think, 53 to the Vikings. So what you you can't he said that on Tuesday. This isn't a quote from five years ago. He said this on Tuesday. So that's what I don't understand. Ryan Pace is already contradicting himself because he's like, well, because uh, if you don't take best player available, you uh, you open yourself to a lot more risk. But then again, with your first pick on uh, th- uh, Friday, that's what exactly what you do. Yeah, he, he, he's been contradicting himself since day one. In the 2015 draft, I saw a quote that he said that it's good to take a quarterback every year in the draft. So and he's, he's taken one. Taken one, which was he's Mitch taken Trubisky. one, and look he's how great stupid. Mitchell David Trubisky turned out. Yeah, it like, and of course, because Ryan Pace came over from uh, New Orleans, he was under New Orleans's GM now, Mickey Loomis. Mickey Loomis always had that philosophy where you should try to take a quarterback every round, and it's under like the Bill Parcells thinking of uh, if you take a quarterback every year that having a quarterback will be your best uh, currency moving forward. Because look at the Patriots. They had Tom Brady, Jimmy Garoppolo, and Jacoby Brissett. Mm -hmm. They traded Garoppolo away for a second-round pick to San France. Jimmy Garoppolo took them to the Super Bowl. Yep. And then Jacoby Brissett was – he wasn't a great quarterback for the Colts, but he was a nice, solid quarterback Mm -hmm. for the Colts. So I just don't understand why Ryan Pace feels the need to contradict himself. Yeah, and it, it the quarterback situation, I saw something that they're not going to pick up his fifth, Trubisky's fifth year. So now you're yep, going to be – Yeah, Adam Schefter yesterday during the NFL draft, he said from his league sources around the league that it is looking like the Bears will decline Mitchell Trubisky's $24 million fifth-year option for next year. Or for good two seasons. Those are two words. Yeah. But here's the thing. And I know we talked about it a little last week with Joe Aguilar. 
You declined Mitch Trubisky's uh, fifth-year option. So basically what the fifth-year option is, every under the current C, uh, collective bargaining agreement, every player in the, fourth, in the first round gets a four-year contract. Mm-hmm. And then because they were drafted in the fourth year, they get a fifth-year option for wherever that – and the money you make in your fifth-year option is dependent on where you were drafted. Like Mitchell Trubisky, he'll make uh, $24 million if his option is uh, picked up by the Bears. But let's say someone who was picked 32nd overall, his fifth-year option won't be as high. Yeah. Right? So you do that, you d- you'll probably decline it. If Nick Foles plays well, he might opt out and chase the money. Mm-hmm. So then what? You didn't draft a quarterback this year. Oh, well, you didn't even sign an undrafted free agent. Nope. And I know time is – I know it's still early, so teams are still signing quarterbacks uh, that went undrafted. But it's like, really? Yeah, I would I really would have liked Jalen Hurts at 50. Yeah, because Jalen Hurts, he was still there at 43 and 50. Yep. Like Cole Komet, I think he'll be a nice player. He'll be a nice player. Is he worth 43? No. Because here, here's my biggest problem, and we'll ask, and I'm gonna ask Chris Black this, uh, this question. So let's say I'm fine if you take Cole Komet at 43, but trade 50 back, gain another second round pick, mm-hmm. and then pick up a third rounder or a fourth rounder attached to that second round pick, to where you can take an offensive lineman. Yeah. Instead of waiting for seven. Right. Because they didn't take. 225 players were already selected before the Bears took their first offensive line. So that's the one thing I don't understand. And Darnell Mooney, eh, whatever. I mean, he's fast. He ran off like a 4-3-7-40 at the combine. I had, uh, let me see if I can find it. But the, uh, I think Matt Miller, who is a draft analyst, or Bleacher Report. Here was his scouting report on uh, wide receiver uh, Darnell Mooney. Mooney has the body type of a kicker with poor muscle definition to play and play strength. While he is a straight line explosive, he can get off balance out of his breaks and needs to use better sync quickness and consistency to separate himself. The focus drops are frustrating, but he tracks the ball well, working hard to, working hard to get open and fight through the coverage. Overall, Mooney is tougher than he looks, but must control his dynamic athleticism to make it in the NFL as a consistent weapon. Mm -hmm. So basically, Ryan Pace just drafted a wide receiver because he was fast. Yep. It was a blind pick, basically. Yeah, well, basically, when you're in the fifth round, that's all you're doing. Yep. That's that's all you're doing. And I mean, you traded up twice. Up back into the fifth round twice. Usually Ryan Pace likes to get a, aggressive in the first round. He traded up for Leonard Floyd. He traded up for Mitchell Trubisky. He likes to trade up in the second round. Traded up for Anthony Miller. In the third round, he traded with the Patriots to uh, select David Montgomery, who the jury's still out on. Mm-hmm. But he traded with the Vikings, right? He traded pick, He traded up pick 155. And that's where they took Travis Gibson, the edge rusher out of Tulsa. Yeah. He traded a 2021 fourth-round pick. Why? Yeah. Like, I understand you kept your fifth-round pick, 
but giving up a fourth round pick and that's the round I like we may not even know depending on the season if Ryan Pace will be the GM next year yeah but why are you giving up future draft capital the fourth round is where you shine Nick Kwiatkowski Eddie Jackson but no let we traded our fourth round pick this year to Jacksonville so we could get Nick Foles <laughs> And next year we traded it to the Vikings so we could trade up and uh, get a situational pass rush. Yep. So uh, that's the one thing I don't understand. Ryan Pace gets so aggressive and he said, "Oh, we like the we like the sweet spot there in the fifth round where we can make it, get some impact players." Yeah. They're fifth rounders. It's boomer bust anyway. Yep. Like Cole Komet. He'll probably be good. I think it was a reach at 43. We've already covered that. Yes. Jalen Johnson had a first-round grade on him. I think that kid's going to be a stud cornerback out of Utah. Yes. Uh, a little bit of an injury. That, his... was, that was Ryan Pace's best pick for sure. Yeah, he, had, he has a little bit of an injury history. Last year at Utah, he played uh, the whole season with a torn labrum in his right shoulder. And he's had three shoulder surgeries since he graduated high school. So that's something to be concerned about. Like, just take a look at Ryan Pace. He always likes to draft players that were injured. Like, look at Eddie Jackson. He broke his leg. That's how he was able to – Ryan Pace was able to get him in the fourth (laughs) round. Cole Komet hasn't played a full season at Notre Dame in the last two years because of, like, a high ankle sprain and a broken collarbone. Mm Mm-hmm. And then you have Jalen Johnson, who's have, who's had three so- shoulder surgeries since high school. Jeez, it's so that's what I just don't understand. Yeah. So, so here's the thing, Josh. Do you think is Ryan Pace's draft strategy broken? Yes, I I believe yes it is because when he says he's getting someone like when he's. When the team needs something, like an offensive line this year, he gets something else. He doesn't go at what he wants all the time. He he just – he doesn't follow his own strategy, and, it, and it's broken. Yeah, and just like the quote I read earlier, and I'll read it again with Chris Black so I can get his take on it, you always need to take best player available. If you think the best player available – is Cole Komet, your draft board is broken. Yeah, it right. Yes. Cuz you had Grant Delpit, who would who would have been one hell of a safety paired on the other side of Eddie Jackson. He would have been one hell of a safety. But no, we take a tight end so we could have 10 tight yep. ends. And we'll probably sign another one so we could come out so Matt Nagy could uh, get too cute and he can be you and uh, he can have an 11 tight end set out there. Yeah, it's just so stupid. I don't know why they need they need so many tight ends. Right, and you take a look at it. Thaddeus Moss went undrafted. Mm-hmm. He signed with the Redskins. Hunter Bryant out of uh, FAU, I think, uh, Florida Atlantic. He went to the Lions. And it's like, here's the thing I don't understand with Ryan Pace. This may be the best wide receiver draft we have ever seen. You draft a guy fifth round because he is fast. Yep. What what part of that makes sense? None of it actually. 
He had exactly. And, and when I have to read a scouting report on someone and he's got like the statute of a kicker, like I know Chicago, we've had our fair share of kicking problems. Uh, Cody Parkey, everyone loves Cody Parkey around here. Uh, but uh, I don't want to be seeing a wide receiver compared to a kicker. No, like that, like that's ju- that's just a no for me. Only five eleven. Yeah, five eleven. Hey, but but he can run a four three seven uh a forty. Yeah, but he's fast, Josh. Let me tell you, he's fast. And I haven't looked at. Uh, I've only seen a couple of when Pace and Nagy uh, met the media late last night after the draft. I, I only saw a couple quotes from it, but I bet you when reporters asked him about, uh, what's it, Darnell Mooney, the first thing they asked him, why'd you draft him? The first thing Pace said is because he was fast. <laughs> I bet you anything. That's what it was. Yep. Because he was fast. I agree. So, and it's just, I, you, first you say your offensive line's an issue, but you don't do anything to fix it. Bobby Massey's in his 30s. Charles Leno, I don't see a scenario where Charles Leno's going anywhere. Mm -hmm. But, you know, who knows? Um, Let's see. You signed Jason Spriggs, the failed Packers second-round pick. We'll get to the Packers a little bit later because I know we want to have some fun with that. Um, They signed a failed Packers second-round pick in Jason Spriggs. Jermaine Effetti, who you're going to have play guard, they're both on one-year deals. So what what are you going to do? Next year you're going to take an offensive lineman when you could have done it this year? You passed on Ezra Cleveland and uh, Josh Jones or James <laughs> Jones or whatever the hell his name is. <laughs> so I just don't understand. Yeah. So, Josh, when we take a look at the NFL draft, every draft has its winners and its losers. I texted Josh yesterday, come up with two winners and two losers of the NFL draft. And I'll start, Josh, my two winners of the NFL draft. The Minnesota Vikings. The Minnesota Vikings had like 12 picks. The Minnesota Vikings did what they needed to do. They lost like Xavier Rhodes. They lost Everson Griffin. They lost a bunch of defensive players. They traded away Stefan Diggs. But I think the Minnesota Vikings had a really strong draft class. They had Justin Jefferson, a wide receiver out of LSU. They signed two cornerbacks, uh, Cam Dantzler and Jeff Gladney. And the offensive tackle that could have been wearing the orange and blue in Chicago, Ezra Cleveland out of Boise State, he went to Minnesota. So I think that's a great draft class for Minnesota. Yeah. All right, Josh, who's one of your winners? I'm going to go with the Dolphins. They had, they had a ton of picks, especially in the first round. I like, getting, I like them getting Tua over Justin Herbert. And then – helping out with an offensive tackle at 18 with uh, Austin Jackson. I like what they did throughout the entire draft. Yeah, the Dolphins had a nice draft. They have a lot of cap space, had a lot of draft capital, and they made the most of it for an up-and-coming team like the Dolphins are. And in a potential winnable division, now that Brady is out of it, the Patriots don't know who their quarterback's going to be. The Jets will be... About an eight and eight team. Uh, Dolphins have a chance to really do something special here as such a young team. Yes. My other winner, I know this team won't get a lot of love, but the New Orleans Saints hmm. only had three draft picks, 
But the New Orleans Saints, I think, had one hell of a draft class. They used their 24th pick on uh, offensive uh, guard and center, Cesar Ruiz, who I think is going to be a stud. And, Josh, I don't know if you remember me talking about it last week, but um, I think that guy's going to be a stud. I watched Mm. some film on him when he was at Michigan. He he just seemed like a great player. Yeah. They also took uh, Zach Vaughn, my guy, linebacker from the Wisconsin Badgers at pick 74 in the third round. I'm surprised Bond dropped that far, but in order to shore up the Vikings linebacker core, or not the Vikings, the Saints linebacking core, that's a great pick. And they took a tight end, Adam Troutman out of Dayton. I think that guy's going to be a stud. He's the, he's the highest drafted player ever to come out of the University of Dayton. So I think even though there's those three picks and then they took quarterback Tommy Stevens in the seventh round, and lo and behold, when we wake up this morning, they also signed uh, Jameis Winston. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But I think overall, that's a strong left uh, draft class for the few picks that they had. Yeah, I agree. My so who was your second winner? My second winner, everyone's going to start to hate this team soon. I'm going to go with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Their first couple <laughs> days were pretty good. Tristan Wirth, they were they got Antoine Winfield Jr. from Minnesota. I saw him play at Iowa last season, and that man's going to be a stud. Yeah, dude's a monster. They're going to – and getting Tristan Wirfs out of Iowa and then Tyler Johnson out of Minnesota, those guys are going to help Tom Brady and the Buccaneers go far. I think – Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, and especially with an older quarterback like Tom Brady, you got to invest in the offensive line so you can protect him. Yeah. Because who knows how many how many more years Tom Brady's got on his body, so you got to try to protect him at all costs. Yeah. So what else you got? So I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna go to my losers, and I'm not gonna steal yours, but it's gonna be along the same lines. I'm okay. gonna go to loser. I'm not gonna. Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron like Rodgers. as a Bears fan, I've never been happier in my life. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers may or may not have just lost something in him right there. He His pride? His pride, everything. He just got – he wanted a wide receiver so they could go win the Super Bowl next year. And what do they do with their – they trade up to get a quarterback from Utah State. Yes, Jordan Love. Yes, quarterback. Yes, because it's not like we already have a franchise quarterback. But, hey – what? Why? Aaron Rodgers still's got like three or four years still left on his contract. But you know, let's draft his replacement. Why not? Well, I'm thinking is he signed for a lot of money, correct? Uh, yeah, it's like, uh, let me look it up. But I think it's like twenty eight or something like that. Let me look it up right now. My question is, are they trying to get rid of him in his contract? Uh. As he gets I don't older. know. There, there were some uh, conspiracy theorists out there that uh, thought that Aaron Rodgers was for sure going to go to New England mm-hmm. because, you know, that's – in all likelihood, Trubisky, once he hits the free agent market, he's going to go to New England oh, yeah. and win them a Super Bowl. Of I'm calling it right now. It's going to happen. It won't be because of Mitchell Trubisky. It'll be because of Bill Belichick if he's still there. 
Yeah. So let's see. Uh, let's see. Total cash. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is making $21 million this year, $36 million next year, but he has a potential opt out after or prior to the 2022 season. And in 2022, he'll be making $39.8 million. And then in 2023, he'll be making $28 million. I could see the Packers trying to get out of that contract as he is 36 years old now. Yeah, and Josh, to go along, your loser was Aaron Rodgers. Yes. Uh, my loser was just the Packers in general. Oh, yeah, the right? whole organization just messed the up. The whole organization. Every year, every year for the last couple of years, ever since they had the wide receivers of Devontae Adams, Randall Cobb, Jordy Nelson, ever since then, the Packers have not had a wide receiver. Mm-hmm. Right. But every yeah. year we hear Packers fans bitch and moan that they need a wide receiver. <laughs> but this year, this year, maybe the greatest wide receiver draft of all time. But they but they don't draft a, a, a wide receiver. Not a single one. No, no, no. But in the uh, second round, they picked uh, running back A.J. Dillon. <laughs> Um, because Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams stopped existing. <laughs> and, uh, I don't know if you saw this on Twitter the other day, but, uh, AJ Dillon was picked at 62. According to pro football Focus's big board, he was unranked out of 250 <laughs> players. That's insane. I yeah. don't know. I don't know what they were thinking. The Packers organization coach, uh, LaFleur, I don't. I have no idea what they were thinking. Yeah, I'm not sure. Because Aaron Rodgers, he needs weapons to succeed. And, of course, them drafting Jordan Love, uh, you know, Rodgers will probably go out and win MVP. Because, of course. Because that's, because that's just how it's going to work. Uh, my other loser of the NFL draft, the Texans. Yeah. Bill O'Brien, he's over his head. He's in over his head. Yeah. I don't think he knows what he's doing. Uh, let's see, Bill O'Brien, uh, the second round pick, Ross Blacklock, a uh, really nice defensive lineman, fills a need there, but then they just had four picks after that and took a bunch of developmental players. Yeah, yeah it was this pretty much their, not their offseason so far. Yeah, it's a crapshoot, yeah. to say the least. So who's your second loser besides Aaron Rodgers? Uh, I was going to go with the Packers as well. I was going to do Aaron Rodgers yeah. and the Packers because those are the big, big-time losers. Especially when everyone thought they were in a win now. And they're, they're, they basically just screamed, we're rebuilding. We're yep. going to start rebuilding. Yep, pretty much. And in a couple minutes here, we will be joined by Chris Black of ESPN 1000. He will join us here coming up next. We're now lucky enough to be joined by one of my favorite ESPN 1000 personalities. Chris Black hosts Chicago's College Tailgate every every Saturday during the college football season. You can also hear him almost every day on ESPN 1000. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Black. Chris joins us now here on the Weekly Sports Talk podcast with Josh Pose. I am Nick Palazzolo. Chris, thank you for taking time for us. How are you doing today? No problem, guys. Josh, Nick, what's going on? Uh, I'm pretty good. Uh, nice day, sunny, hanging out inside. You know how it is. Uh, yeah. 
pretty pretty yeah. excited about the NFL draft, but uh, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, thanks for joining us. So Ryan Pace on Tuesday, but when he met the media uh, before the draft, like all general managers do, he said, we are always going to take the best player available. If a quarterback was there and he was the highest guy on our board, in a strong way, we would consider that for every position. Let's face it, this draft is risky enough. When you deviate from best player available, you just increase your risk. But didn't Ryan Pace do that when he took Cole Komet at 43, the tight end out of Notre Dame? Yeah, you know, there's a few ways to kind of look at this, right? Um, first off, I think what gets overshadowed by the nuance of the conversation is that Cole Komet might be a very good NFL player. Uh, he might turn out to be a all-pro level player, a Pro Bowl level player. He was a heck of a player at Notre Dame. And he's a very good prospect. And he fits a need that the Bears had. Now, to answer your question specifically, Nick, it, it, Ryan Pace didn't do what he said on Tuesday he was going to do. And what we've seen time and time again throughout the draft process since 2015, it seems like Ryan Pace focuses in on players who fit needs, who he likes around the value but he never gets the true value of a player when he's drafting. And I think if you just look at the board, you know, the Chicago Bears need a safety as well. And two went off the board right after Cole Komet with Grant Delpit going to the Cleveland Browns and then Antoine Winfield Jr. Uh, from Minnesota going to the Tampa Bay Bucks. And both of those individuals were much higher uh, ranked heading into the draft. Delpit, the 35th ranked player from ESPN heading into the draft and Winfield being the 29th best player when we headed into the draft. And I know there were other players that Pace passed up. So if your rule of thumb for drafting is going after the very best available player, Ryan Pace simply did not do that, which it's okay if that's not the way you draft, right? Like if your philosophy is we fill uh, the needs on our team and we try and get the best value, but not necessarily the best available player, then you could say, okay, I get it. That's exactly what they did. But you can't go out there and say, like he did on Tuesday, say that what we do in the NFL draft is we get the best player available, and that's the way we handle it, because you simply do not. He's shown us time and time again that that's not the way the Bears go about this process. Josh? Yeah, so if you were Ryan Pace in this situation – Friday night, who would you have gone with with the 43rd pick? On Friday night, you know, the, the way I would have handled it is I thought all along that cornerback was the biggest need. Now, clearly based on the way the board fell, corner was available, right? Because the next corner that went off the board after 43 was 50. And the Bears landed Jalen Johnson from Utah. I love this pick. I think this is a fantastic pick because of the value. Heading into the draft, he was ranked 44th. The Bears get him at 50. So to, to answer your question, I it, it, it's, a tough, it's a tough thing to criticize, right? Because theoretically, if you swap the players, Johnson goes 43, Komet goes 50, they are the true value right at those spots, right? Because Cole Komet heading into the draft was ranked as the 45th best prospect, the number one tight end, 45th best prospect. So, you know, if you really take into consideration, 
you can't I can't criticize Ryan Pace too badly because he followed up with a home run pick, I believe, in Jalen Johnson. Um, ideally, what I would have done is I would have tried to get the corner, so Johnson or Trayvon Diggs with the 43rd pick, and I would have spent that 50th pick on Jalen Hurts. I think what that would have done is it would have set the Bears up for the future. If he could outplay Mitch Trubisky and or Nick Foles in year one, then it's his job to earn. But I think that would be the type of idea that I would have going forward because then you're setting up the most important position in football by getting someone who may have the skill set to exceed at the next level. We've seen many different draft experts kind of come out and talk about how the improvement for Jalen Hurts when he went from Alabama to Oklahoma as a pure passer is something that you don't normally see. And remember that these guys are going to develop more. And I think there's a lot there. And I love the pick from the Philadelphia Eagles at 53 selecting Jalen Hurts because if he turns out to be a good quarterback or even a desirable prospect, that means the Eagles now have the cards and they can deal him for more picks if they need to. Or if Carson Wentz doesn't work out, they have that next quarterback, which is something that smart teams, and we've seen it on the board throughout this NFL draft, outside of the top three guys, right? Joe Burrow, Tua Tungavailoa, and Justin Herbert. Everyone after that point, they were drafted to teams that already have legitimate starters. Go down the list. Eagles, Packers, Jets, Bills, all of these teams, they have starters, if not young starters, right, in the Jets and the Bills. There's no reason for those two teams with Josh Allen and Sam Darnold to draft a quarterback. But a long-winded answer is I would have gone quarterback there based on the value and planning for the future. But it seems like Ryan Pace does not care about the future because he's jumping out of planes without a parachute, hoping that he <laughs> lands. I mean, that that's really the way he, he approaches the draft is he doesn't care about next year or the year after, especially with his move in the fifth round, giving up a fourth round pick next year just so he can move up in this draft. I, I think that's the type of uh, philosophy that I wouldn't buy. But to answer the original question, I would have gone corner at 43, and then I would have come back with a uh, with a quarterback at 50, and that would have been uh, Jalen Hurts. Yeah, and when you take a look at just Ryan Pace's tenure as Bears GM, He's only drafted one quarterback, and that was everyone Chicago's known to love in Mitchell Trubisky. So I think what is going to end up costing Ryan Pace his job is that he can't – because Bill Parcells always said, and I think Ryan Pace said it when he was first hired, the best currency you can have uh, as a general manager is a quarterback. Look at the Patriots. You had Mm -hmm. one year where you had Tom Brady – Jimmy Garoppolo and Jacoby Brissett and the Patriots were able to cash out with Jacoby Brissett and Jimmy Garoppolo and Ryan Pace in five years has only drafted one quarterback. And as a, as a a diehard bears fan, that's kind of frustrating when you see a team like the Patriots have three quality starters on their team one year. And then Ryan Pace to only draft one quarterback in five years. Yeah. You know, and it's, you know, it's the problem that, here in Chicago, we've always kind of dealt with where it seems as if even though we all know it's the most important position in sports, it, it seems like those up at Hallis Hall and Lake Forest, they don't get that. Um, and there isn't a right way on how to find that quarterback. So so the the thing to me that is so startling is 
Nick, you're right. He drafts Trubisky, and then, like, that's it. Now, I get it. You could argue that that compensatory fourth rounder from this year will then get you Nick Foles, but I don't think anyone is selling the idea that Nick Foles is a long-term solution here. Um, there is a possibility that could play out. Adam Abdallah on our show today uh, is very high on on the uh, point of bringing up to people that don't forget that Trubisky may be gone after next year. Nick Foles, if he has a great year, will hit free agency again. And you basically have nothing at the position. And so the whole conversation, what Bill Parcells has said in the past, what we know as football fans, you have to have someone, an idea going forward. And that's the problem here is the Bears have nothing planned for the future. And that's that puts you in a position when it comes to free agency and when it comes to the draft where you are not uh, negotiating from a position of power. You're you're waiting for someone to become available for you. And that's like and as I look ahead at the 2021 draft, you know, a lot's going to change between now and next April. The problem is, though, if this all kind of plays out, the Bears are going to be backed into a corner where they're going to have to take a quarterback with a first round pick next year. Like it's it's very difficult to see the first round selection by the Bears next season not being a quarterback. Like think about the different options that would have to take place. Nick Foles would have to be good enough that you would want to re-sign him, plus not not so good where he becomes a free agent and goes out and tests the open market and he leaves you, right? And then Trubisky, if he's still here, then he needs to improve big time. And then at that point, you're giving him a new contract. You know, like it's a very tough situation and a tough way to go about life in the NFL. Yeah. So now that the draft is draft is over, what moves do the Bears need to make for the rest of the offseason to be considered a successful offseason? Well, you know, like basically, uh, I would I would hope that a quarterback would have been brought in, uh, especially the guys who weren't drafted, and that that didn't happen. So, I mean, you know, from this point on, I I think the NFL is now heading into like a wait-and-see mode on whether or not training camps will take place, whether or not there will be a preseason, and if the season will start on time. You know, uh, to look back on this offseason, Ryan Pace did address some needs. So if we wanted to grade this offseason, he did upgrade the quarterback position. Uh, by how much he upgraded it, I'm not entirely uh, sure. Uh, you look at the offensive yeah. line. He didn't really upgrade the offensive line, which many Bears fans were shouting from the rooftops that they wanted an upgraded offensive line in this offseason. That didn't happen. You lose Prince of Mukamura to, to free agency. You draft a cornerback uh, with your second second-round pick in Jalen Johnson. I think that is a fantastic move for Ryan Pace. You needed a tight end. Yeah. You go out and spend a lot of money on a terrible tight end in Jimmy Graham, and then you go and use your first pick in this year's draft on a tight end. So the tight mm-hmm. end position, a positive for Komet, but it's a minor. I'm not sure if those wash each other out or we still lean positive because of Komet overall. Um, I, you know, we still don't have a second safety. Who's going to play alongside Eddie Jackson? And, you know, you look at the rest of the offense, who's going to be that second wide receiver next to Allen Robinson? So overall, I, I think this offseason still leads uh, – there's still some desire for improvement because with all the question marks we had heading into the offseason, 
I'm not sure if Ryan Pace really solved a whole heck of a lot. Improved quarterback play is a, a big positive, and then you get a corner to be opposite Kyle Fuller. Outside of that, you have the tight end, but why'd you waste all that money on Jimmy Graham? It just really didn't make sense. It, it Guys, and, and Josh and, and Nick, you know, the, the thing that I kind of point to is it, does it didn't it seem like there really wasn't one solid plan to this offseason. Yeah, uh, Josh, yeah. It, let me jump in here. It's like Ryan Pace, he, he like, at the postseason presser at the end of last season, Nagy's like, we're going to still reevaluate everything when asked about, like, coaching changes. And then an hour later, he, he fires Harry Heaston, a tight end coach, a special teams assistant. So that just kind of told you right there what kind of an offseason it was going to be because Nagy told you we were still working through it. We're going to take the next couple weeks to, quote, unquote, decompress the season. <laughs> and then and then he, we come to free agency, sign Jimmy Graham. We give him a no-trade clause because – because nobody's going to trade for him anyway, so let's just give it to him. We'll give him $9 million, and then we still don't fix the O-line. Sure, we signed Jermaine Effetti, and then uh, Jason Spriggs, a former failed Packers second-round pick. It's almost like we're just trying to throw money at problems and expecting it to fix it instead of uh, fixing it through young talent through the draft. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, like there, there's a player that was on the board that is going to Minnesota. Uh, he was selected in the second round, the 58th selection overall, Ezra Cleveland from Boise mm-hmm. State, offensive tackle. He was ranked going into the draft as the 22nd best prospect. So, you know, if we go back uh, like 10 minutes to when we were talking about what would I do with the draft picks, I know I answered cornerback and quarterback, but <laughs> you could also make the argument that the Bears should have absolutely taken Ezra Cleveland and then plugged him in on the offensive line and then kind of built your team from there. I would have been happy with that. I think most Bears fans would have been happy for that. I just don't get those who want to blame all the offensive issues on an offensive line when clearly the Bears are telling you that they think what they've done is okay. See what I'm saying? Like, you can't yeah. – As a fan, you can't sit and complain that the offensive line is the reason that the offense only scored 17 points per game and the quarterback is trash. Because they're telling you from Hallis Hall, what have they told us by their actions this offseason? The first thing they did is they went out and signed a a new quarterback. They traded for a new quarterback. Okay, so that tells you that they, they weren't thrilled with the quarterback play. They basically did everything outside of really upgrading the offensive line. You know, they, they drafted a wide receiver. We'll see if that works out. They, they draft a tight end. They sign a tight end. So, I mean, to me, it, it clearly tells me that Nick Folds is going to be the starter from day one. And two, they think the offensive line, just with some minor tweaks, is, is more than okay. So I'm going to move on to the actual draft itself. Like, what did you like about the draft and what did you not like about, like, the virtual part of it? Oh, you know what? And um, it's a good question. Uh, I I think there is absolutely nothing to dislike from what we saw. Like, if you want to be the dude who shows up on Monday with hot takes that it was boring or you didn't enjoy uh, watching and following along with the draft, 
then quite honestly, if we were at a bar and, and you were sitting next to me, I would just move down the bar, right? I would go find a different bar stool to sit at because I don't want to hear it. There's nothing going on. And to be honest, it was refreshing, fun, enjoyable, all of it uh, under the umbrella that, you know, we haven't had any live sports for over a month now. And to follow along with something and to see ESPN and the NFL Network and the NFL itself come together to put on a product for all of us who love sports to follow along for three days, I thought it was great. Um, you know, I don't really care for the green room stuff. I know it adds to the TV when we're watching the first round. I, I didn't think it was missing anything seeing the individuals sit in their living rooms. Uh, to me, that's a okay, no problem. The, that, here, here's the beautiful mm -hmm. part of the NFL draft. To me, the NFL draft works at its best when you get Trey Wingo introducing Goodell at the podium or in his living room, and then Goodell announces the pick, and then it goes back to Trey Wingo for the player bio card and his stats, and then immediately into highlights of the player with the NFL primetime music underneath and Mel Kuyper Jr. giving me the bio on this description of what that player has done previously in college football. To me, that right there is the sweet spot. And we got that. And it was fantastic. And I, I don't like, you guys can tell me if I'm wrong. I thought it was very enjoyable. And I don't get people who disliked it or complained about it or weren't interested in it. There's nothing else going on. And even if there were uh, other sports like baseball, the, the NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs going on, I would still be interested in the NFL draft. That's just the type of person I am. So my overall thoughts are it was really fun and I'm glad it took place the way it did. Yeah. And, and I thought, I thought it was well done by ESPN because so many like people went into just the production of the whole thing. It was kind of just amazing just to watch from like a fan's point of view because I was talking with a couple of buddies of mine, how many like technical glitches are, are going to go on, how many picks won't get in on time, but there was like no problem. So kudos to ESPN for just providing all the info and all the equipment and stuff and everything was smooth sailing from round one. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it was Bob Quinn. Um, he said that he felt, it was smoother and the whole process leading up to the draft was smoother because usually all these NFL personnel uh, people are in the office till nine, 10 o'clock at night. They're never home and they kind of go overboard in preparing for the draft. And he said, I think he said yesterday or this morning, I, I can't remember where I saw it that, you know, a little bit more work life balance actually made the draft a, a better uh, end result than they usually get. And I, I think that it, that's a, not, a novel way to kind of look at it is that, you know, work smarter, not harder, you know, and, and just make sure that you have everything set up, be prepared. And Nick, you know, it, it seemed like there were no technical glitches, you know, like, of course, between the TV people, there were a couple of spots where like someone wasn't ready or the timing was off. But when it comes to the teams, it appeared as if everyone got their picks in on time. Uh, trades happened. 
And it didn't seem like there were any major flaws between the teams conducting the NFL draft. Yeah, and when you take a look at, like, the draft itself and Jake Fromm out of Georgia, were you surprised he he lasted all the way until day three of the draft and went to the Bills in the fifth round? Were you surprised he dropped that far? Um, maybe that he went in the fifth round, but I'm not surprised that he was what the is 167 overall. He was like the eighth quarterback off the board. I'm not really surprised at that. Um, you know, listen, with Jake Fromm and and what his problem is going to be is that he is pegged as a backup only, uh, from the get go. He doesn't have the uh, strength and skill set, the physique, that people are going to label him as a starting quarterback. And then when you see what he did in college at Georgia, he wasn't the reason they were winning games. He was a bit of a game manager. And when they were in games where the score was higher in the 30s and the 40s, and when he had to throw the ball a lot, that's usually when Georgia didn't win. And so, like, all of that stuff comes together. And I didn't think that Jake Fromm was ever going to be um, a legitimate prospect that teams would be selecting as their starter. So that moves him out of round one. And then when you get to round two, three, four, and five, like, now you're basically comparing him to other guys. And I think his ceiling was so low compared to the ceiling of someone like Jalen Hurts which comparable, they're, they're at about the same skill set right now, but I think many people are projecting that Hurts is going to improve so much more over his course of time in the NFL. And the same goes for guys like James Morgan, Jacob Eason, um, especially Eason, because Eason's like 6'4". He is the body of a quarterback that most people would prefer on their NFL team. So I think, you know, when you look at Jake Fromm overall, I'm not surprised that he was at he was that quarterback that went at that spot. It is a little surprising though that he went in the fifth round. I wasn't I didn't think that he would fall that far, but I didn't think that he would be like a second round pick. Yeah. Um so we're gonna move on to basketball in the Let's last chance documentary. Have yeah, you been of watching? Have you been watching it? And if so, of course, yeah. Um, you watch three and four. What do you expect for tonight with the Dennis well, you know, Rodman episode? I'm, I'm interested in finding out why in a, an entire episode dedicated to Dennis Rodman is going to be different than what we saw in his 30 for 30. You know, because a lot of people have kind of mentioned that, okay, we'll get the backstory of the bad boy Pistons. And then it's like, okay, well, there's a 30 for 30 for that too. So I'm interested in seeing what is going to be different in an entire episode dedicated to Dennis Rodman that wasn't in the 30 for 30 about him specifically and was not in the 30 for 30 about the bad boy Pistons specifically. Um, Obviously, he's a character Mm -hmm. that has so many different storylines that I'm sure they will have a ton of great content that we've never seen before or even seen in documentary uh, style before. But you know, I I think um, heading into it that Rodman is the least interesting character of the group just because there's so much out there about him already. And I think that's what's cool about this documentary mm-hmm. is that 
it allows people to see uh, footage and to see the conversation about these players in real time as you document what took place in that moment. And I think it's cool because I feel as if, you know, I'm, I'm about to be 35 uh, next month. And I feel that there is definitely a generational gap where there's, there's an age not too younger than me, like right around 30, that never saw Jordan actually play games. Like, I, and what, I'm, what I mean by that is people have seen the highlights. People have probably gone back and watched games. But, like, I recall watching these games in 1998. Like, I watched all of them. I didn't do my homework. I watched Bulls games. Like, and I would have a fight with my parents on a daily basis about me trying to stay up to watch these Bulls games in 96 and 97 and 98. And I thought it was more important back then to watch those games than to do algebra homework. You know what I'm saying? So, like, like I remember the day-to-day grind of this where if you only consume Jordan in highlight fashion, uh, do you really know what makes him so special? And it's not necessarily the highlights. It's like he there are games where he didn't play well, right? And there are games where the Bulls got beat. But if you don't see the struggle, is the success just as important? You know what I'm saying? So, like, I think the whole thing overall is very fascinating and all the storylines because I, I know you guys are a little bit younger than I am. It gives you a new perspective on all of this, doesn't it? Yeah, be, yeah, because, like, right now, yeah. Yeah, like, 10 years ago, we grew up with LeBron and Kobe never actually getting to watch Jordan. And like you said earlier, we know Jordan through highlights. And, of course, being up here in the northern suburbs of Chicago, we we know more about Jordan than people outside of, like, our a general radius to Chicago. Because there are some friends of mine who some of them are LeBron, think LeBron's the GOAT. And there's people like me who think Jordan's the GOAT. Because just of like that generational gap, like you said, because some people were like yourself, were able to consume Jordan live and some people consume Jordan through highlights and YouTube and like in the quarantine now, NBC Sports Chicago was airing yeah. all of the older, all of the 90s um, finals games. So it's just interesting to see the generational gap between all ages because I know some people think Kobe was Kobe was kind of like the bridge between Jordan mm-hmm. and LeBron. Some people like Kobe, some people like LeBron. Like I'm I'm just happy to be watching like knowing about Jordan being close to Chicago, but also being able to watch what LeBron is doing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, it it's just it's just a different like Jordan's just a different animal. And a lot of it has to do with, you know, we've seen, we saw some of it with Kobe. Kobe tried to put on a show every single night. And that's, that's going to be the thing that always comes back to bite LeBron in these arguments is that LeBron would take weeks off of seasons. Like remember uh, a couple of years ago, he went to Miami for two weeks in the regular season to get his body right. Like mm-hmm. that, that, that type of stuff doesn't fly when it comes to Jordan. And I think what 
the documentary really uh, showed you in episodes one and two is that nobody on the planet in the history of sports wanted to win more than Michael Jordan. You, you can have the debates all you want about the skill sets or the achievements or whatever you want. But the, the whole point of those two episodes to start outside of the Pippin and his contract stuff is that nobody from an early age will ever outwork and, and have a, a bigger thirst for winning than Michael Jordan. And like, that's what they depict. And it was true. And that's why he showed up and he played every night. And, you know, that 98 season with Pippen starting the year uh, on uh, the bench because of the surgery, what, what we're going to see, because like the one thing that the documentary, because the documentary is going to go through each month of this season. So, mm-hmm. so as these episodes take place, we're going to progress into the season. And what you're going to see is they paint the picture that the team started off poorly. Do you guys know how many games the Bulls won in 1998 in that season? Off the top of my head, I don't. I want to say it was the 30s, in the yeah, 30s no. somewhere. No, 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 way more than that. Oh, that was uh, that was the the yeah. seven day. No, that was ninety. No, that was ninety six. How many? So, they, so in that season, I'm I'm looking up as a uh, as you guys are guessing, the Bulls in that season won sixty two games. So so like right like Jeez. in the documentary, they're painting a picture like this team got off to such a bad start. And that they're struggling. Yeah, Jordan doesn't care. He doesn't care for your nonsense. They still figured out a way to get to 62 wins. You see what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. like it's mind-boggling. And, and think about it. Jordan at that time was a little bit older, a little bit slower, a little bit not as, as athletic as he was. They still win 62 games at the end of the season. They're the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. They'll show that through the documentary. But, like, my point is – I feel like people watch those two episodes and they said, oh, wow, the, the Bulls were kind of bad. Like, how did they win? Well, they figured it out in the regular season. And Jordan is great. He's the best of all time. They got to 62 wins with Pippen on the shelf for two months. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it's just, it's crazy. And, you know, I, I think some of the stuff that um, if someone of your age – and I know that, uh, Nick, you said that NBC Sports Chicago has been showing the older games. They have mm-hmm. been. There is – and, and do, it, it's really fun. So I, I'm not just saying it like to be an old-timer who's telling the young kids to go, go watch something. But <laughs> I, think, I think even you guys will notice, if you go back to the 91, 92, and 93 finals and watch Jordan in those games – he there there's not a debate between who's the best of all time between LeBron and Jordan. The debate comes in when you watch Jordan in 96, 97, 98, because that's the last that people remember. And he's less athletic. He's not as explosive. He's not going to the basket with uh, uh, a force that he did in the, the first three P like, if you watch the first three P you're the, the first thing you'll say is like, I've never seen anything like that. And, and you kind of saw it in the first episode of the documentary when they showed him against the Celtics in the late 80s. Like, there's never been something like that in the league. 
And if you watch the first three, Pete, I think you'll kind of side towards towards Jordan, even though LeBron shouldn't be discredited. It's just a totally different thing. Right. Chris, thank you a bunch for taking time for us. We really do appreciate it. No problem, guys. Thanks for having me. All right, thanks. That is Chris Black of ESPN 1000. You can hear him all the time, every day on ESPN 1000. And that'll do it here for, for us on the Weekly Sports Talk podcast. For Josh, I'm Nick. This is the Weekly Sports Talk podcast. Stay safe and have a great day. 